I have got an amazing word today. It's all about conflict. <laughs> it's so exciting. And it is exciting because it's a great opportunity for self-assessment. Um, there's nothing that really brings out the flesh in you in a good fight. Hey? You know that little barrier between the Holy Spirit at work and the flesh of man conflicting nicely? Well, let's just put two and two in the ring together and it's Argentina versus the Springboks and they kick the ball again! I wish we had a fly that could pass. It just would be fantastic for the wing to get the ball in a game. Just once. Just once. Just once. That's all I'm asking for, to get past the second center. Okay. Lord, forgive me. So I have undealt, unresolved issues. Renewing of the mind. We're talking about the renewing of the mind. And, and we talked about the spheres of the, the body, the physical realities in Colossians, the unseen and... Yeah, the kingdom of the Lord. Okay, Colossians 1.15. I'm going to get you all to recite this verse. I'm sure you've all heard it a couple of times. But I mean, when we were at Sunday school, we used to recite these verses so that we could memorize them. And sometimes it's just important to memorize these things so that we believe. When we, when we speak this word, it becomes life. It's a living word. And we see that there's these principalities that exist. There's the unseen realm, but we tend to live in the present current context of things, of what we can see, touch, and feel. So today we're dealing with conflict, and conflict is in the realm. Hopefully it's not the physical conflict of the body, but I'm talking about the battle in the mind that is behind this. Okay, and sometimes it does generate, degenerate into the physical, but it represents an op opportunity of how the kingdom of God can show itself. So, where does conflict come from? I think Okay, and I presented this, presenting is the wrong word, I preached it on Sunday night, and I was told that I was presenting it by my teenage daughter, thanks Amy. So I got this whole you know, teenage critique, I got the 5 out of 10, okay, and I was told, Dad, you're making it sound like a lecture, bring Christ into it! Okay, and that's from my teenage daughter, sometimes I battle to differentiate between demonic possession, and teenagehood. No, I'm not going down there. She is amazing, and I appreciate the feedback. Okay, so don't even look at the picture. Okay, but all it's saying is that often a lot of conflict is, is contextual. Because we have different values, and we have different facts available, we battle to get a meeting of the minds, and there's conflict. That often originates from that. So, you know, I like my bread buttered on one side, someone likes theirs on two sides. Who actually really cares? But we turn it into a full-scale war at the end of the day. And a, a lot of conflict can be avoided, or we've got to be careful we don't make assumptions. And so a lot of conflict comes from assuming that you know the facts. And often, you actually, your facts are governed by the system in which you're working in. Pine Town has gone to the dogs. Could be a statement. But actually, do you have the facts? Has crime gone up or gone down in the last couple of years? Do you actually know before you made that statement? Or did you just read another news article that is normally contextually or factually incorrect? What actually is, for example, going on in the Ukraine? We actually don't know, other than what we fed. So the facts that we got can be quite 
blurred according to the agenda of someone who's presenting those facts to us in the first place. We just don't know. But God does. And the Holy Spirit does. So before you make a judgment call around contextual issues, do you have the facts? Do you actually understand what you're talking about? Then don't judge. We're called not to judge. There is only one ultimate judge who has the right to do that. And that is, that is God. Steve. So then the other form of conflict often is through temptation. And a sin. Giving in to sin. Temptation is not a sin. Jesus got tempted. It's when you give in to it and you bow your knee to this thing that you give it power. That's when sin manifests itself. Before then, and sin is just rebellion against God, in a sense, ultimately. But there are three aspects to this thing of temptation that Jesus, and I'll take from Matthew 4, when Jesus was taken by the Holy Spirit into the, de- into the desert to be tempted by Satan. And there were four, three forms of temptation. And there was the lust of the flesh. He was hungry. Do what feels good. Turn these stones into bread. Satisfy what your body is craving for. Okay. And that was the first temptation, and nothing's changed. Um, And we still, sometimes, we order that second plate of dessert. (laughs) And then battle and wonder why we've got a sugar high and can't sleep at night. We ate too much pizza. No, okay. Let's not go down that road. But it's, it's real. It's legitimate as a temptation. But Christ has overcome all of these things. And we are now a new creation. The second one is the whole issue of, will God really catch you if you jump off here? You'll, you know? And don't put God to the test. Don't, you don't need to test his love for you. And the question is that we doubt the integrity of God. Did God really say, in the, when, between Adam and Eve, did God really say, you know, and it's a twisting of truth about identity, that God doesn't really love you. That's where it's ultimately coming from. And it's believing that God is not for you, but he's against you, or you for yourself. So I need to look after myself because God is not looking after me. That's where it manifests itself too. And then the third one is about power. You know, and this craving for power. I want to be in charge and I need to be in control. And that thing manifests itself in all sorts of ugly ways. Blessed are the meek. Yeah. But often we are told in this war, war, world that we live that you must go after this thing called power. Yeah. You need to be the king. Um, but we're going to... So these, this, and these things all cause conflict. Of some way or other. James 4, verse 1 to 2, captures it very nicely here. And I'm just going to just read off here. What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way? So there's, you need to be in control. It's got to be my will be done, not God's will be done. And fulfill your own desires. So what's good for me comes first. Your jealousy, your jealous, you jealously want what others have, 
so that you begin to see yourself as better than others. So suddenly you put yourself on a pedestal. You scheme with envy and harm. Yeah, you scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. And that's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you didn't ask God for it. Or you won't ask God for it. So all of this thing is all of this stuff is available for you. But you can go your you can go your own way. Go your own way. Okay. But you can go God's way. Which is a better way. Because it's available for us. But in within the correct context of the spirit and what God has for us. Steve. So just types of conflict response. Okay, I'll also try and not get into sort of lecturing mode. Next slide. Thanks. But I call it this the slippery slope of, con- of, of conflict. And this is really interesting because I know you're going to get something out of this. And the Lord has told me that you're going to get something out of today anyway. So it doesn't really matter. I don't need to try and please you. The Spirit is doing that. Not pleasing you, but He's, he is planting something inside of you. And so there are two aspects to the extremes of conflict. You can run and hide, or you can fight with everything and come out as the winner. And so those are the two extremes. Either I'm going to avoid this fight, and I'm going to dig my head in the sand like an ostrich, and what I, you know, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, yeah, whatever. But words will never harm me. What a load of hogwash. Or you can take this thing and you're going to really make a meal out of this. You want to fight? You want to fight? I'll, take, I'll show you what a real fight's about. That is the other ultimate response to this conflict. <laughs> you started it. I'm going to finish it. Okay? You heard these things? So I'm coming from the flight side in our marriage. Here there's, you can guess. I won't say where she is. She's fully in the mediation center pivot aspect. Of, yes, dear. Um, which is interesting because we meet halfway. But um, <laughs> through our marriage, we've had to deal with these different approaches. I mean, I grew up in a household where my father was not abusive. He was an alcoholic, though. And that came with emotional manipulation of all sorts of bits and pieces. And there was always conflict within the household because of this drinking aspect of it. And my easiest way, and also through multiple divorces, you know, the easiest way was just to get into my room, close the door, and exist in my own world. And it was great. Yeah. Got into things like D&D, because you could create your own world and parallel existence as a means of escape. But it doesn't sort out anything. Okay. And so you see avoidance. There's a belief that conflict is wrong. And often in the church we do that. We sometimes believe that if I'm fighting with someone in the church, <laughs> we must separate fighting well, from being aggressive. But if there's a disagreement, we sometimes think it's sin. That is a load of hogwash. It's a load of nonsense. Because we've got different contextual beliefs, uh, we, our 
different contextual ideas in our head. We have different upbringings. Sometimes the facts, we don't meet each other. And there are a lot of misunderstandings that escalate quickly. And if we're just going to run away from it, then nothing is resolved. And what actually happens, there's a consequence. Then there's the other side of the fact that, that I have rights. And I'm fighting for those rights. Yeah. And, then, um, and often it's coming from fear and insecurity. Yeah. So I can't be a pushover. I need to show everyone that I'm strong. And there's actually, it's driven by fear, ultimately, or a form of lack of identity. And so if I can show myself strong, then I'm okay. And therefore, you've got to win at all costs. Next slide, thanks. And so you see, escaping tends to, to emerge as something that is, if we try and avoid it, we'll sweep it under the carpet so that no one knows that there's a fight going on. And I put there K-Y-R-G, kiss your relationship goodbye. Because you've just swept it under the carpet, but in your heart you're bitter towards the other person. So bitterness has taken root, and the relationship is destroyed. Now on the other extreme, you see that it's attacking, it's aggressive, it's coercive. My will will be done. I will prove that I'm right. And you override the other person. You're not listening. It's all about you and you winning. And there's a loss. Kiss your relationship goodbye. You won the battle, but you lost the war. And so in between, the issue of conciliation or reconciliation is about sorting it out. It's about putting the relationship first over your personal little ego or your fear. That's a big ask. Are you willing to forego your ego to meet to put the relationship before. Because often if we have a fight, one week later, can you remember what you actually fought about? <laughs> can anyone actually remember what it was about? It was about the principle. It wasn't about the relationship. So if we can change the focus from on winning to winning the relationship battle, and putting the relationships first, we are aligning with God. And I'm going to take this a little bit further. Next slide. How you respond to conflict. Thanks, Steve. Okay, so the issue is God's glory at the end of the day. It's an incredible verse, 1 Corinthians 10. You say, under grace, there are no rules, and we're free to do whatever we please. Not exactly. This is the um, Passion Translation. Because not everything promotes growth in others. So it's about others and their growth. Your slogan, we're allowed to do anything we choose, may be true, but not everything causes the spiritual advancement of others. So don't always ask what is best for you at the expense of another. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, I put that in brackets, it appears in some versions and not in others. Live your life in a way that glorifies and honors God. So in the conflict, are you glorifying God or are you glorifying yourself? Are you looking at the spiritual advancement of the other person, the other parties, or are you looking to score points? Is God being glorified 
That's the litmus test behind all of this. Steve? And so it comes down to being a disciple. We are called to be disciples. What does being a disciple really mean? We put our trust in God. What he says is true. Not in ourselves, temptation number one. <laughs> we obey the Spirit. When the Lord is speaking to us, we are obedient to that. We say, okay, I heard what you were saying, Lord, but I think I've got a better way of doing things. And then we imitate Christ. We are called to imitate Christ. How does that relate to conflict? Well, Jesus came as a peacemaker. We see it in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. So Jesus came. He was given as a gift to reconcile and I'm going to go into that in a little bit more detail. But he comes with this label, Prince of Peace. So he came to bring peace. Not necessarily between people, but between God and man first. Next slide, thanks, Steve. So what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Matthew 5, verse 9. How joyful you are when you make peace. Okay, this came out of the Beatitudes. Um, for you, then you will be recognized as a true child of God. Okay, so what does it mean to make peace? So it's not being peace. It's, a, it's what's the word? Adjective. Right? It's a verb, making. Thanks, I'm not so hot with the English language. I've got Heath to help me through it. So it's an action. You are taking a physical action to make peace, which assumes that there wasn't peace there to begin with. So there is a conflict. You are now making peace out of that conflict. Okay, let's get there. Steve? Number one, don't sweat the small stuff. How often do we just sweat the small stuff? Because the reality is we're all human. We're all going to make mistakes. If you start holding a little diary against the other person, I remember my first couple of years of marriage, I married a lawyer, <laughs> the sofa is very comfortable this time of year <laughs> but I remember it was tough because you know we'd have an argument and she'd say on the 2nd of June at 2 o'clock at 15 you said the following I what and I said look we can't carry on like this and actually it quickly stopped and now we live in peace and harmony <laughs> I'm the man of the house. I don't know, not quite. <laughs> I always get the last word. Yes, dear. <laughs> um, so, now we sorted that out quickly. But if you start hanging on to every wrong and not overlooking any minor defect, you're in for a rough ride for your whole life. It's going to be miserable for everyone concerned. Because you've got a, splint, a log in your eye and you're judging someone else's splinter. Just extend grace if you want to receive grace. Bear with each other. This is talking to Christians in the church. <laughs> I 
Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. So we're called to peace. So don't sweat the small stuff. Forgive each other. That doesn't mean you're a walkover, and I really need to address that issue importantly. You can't run away from the fight. If there's an issue, you need to sort it out. So avoiding conflict is not the solution. It's, we're going to go into how to sort that out now. Thanks, Steve. You've got to be wise in this. You can either pour petrol onto the fire or pour water onto the fire. You choose what you're going to pour onto that fire. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So you've got, you're holding two cylinders of canisters, beer in one hand, and the fire is burning, your burro voice is going. You can sacrifice, or you can, you've got a bottle of gasoline that you used to light the fire. What are you going to put on the burro voice? <laughs> Not the beer. Can't, okay, just cut that out of the video. <laughs> you've got a choice, but the beer is going to cost you. But are you, what are you going to do? Do you want to see that thing turn to charcoal? Because that's what will happen to the relationship. Well, it just escalates. Easier to sort it out quickly. Thanks, Steve. The next thing is humility. Humility. Okay, I've just got shown five twice. So I'm assuming that time is going slowly, which is fantastic. <laughs> I got shown five about three minutes ago, so... The Lord has stopped time, like, you know, when you hold your hand up. I'm holding my hand up. Time is stopping. Thank you, Lord. Shoo, just come and hold up my hand, yeah, Steve. <laughs> no, just <laughs> be completely humble and be gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, Ephesians. So this humility, do nothing out of selfish ambition. So you've got to, if you want to be a peacemaker, you've got to put that pride thing down. And say, I'm after the relationship and not my own self. Whatever it is. Building up. Next slide. Thanks. So, we've got Matthew, two responses to conflict that Jesus gives as guidance. So, now as follows. If Matthew 18, if your fellow believer sins against you, you must go to that one privately. So if someone sins against you, you go to him in private. Attempt to resolve the matter. If he responds, your relationship, the word is relationship, is restored. That's what Jesus is after. But if his heart is closed to you, then go to him again, but take reinforcements. Okay. So the relationship comes first. If this person is stubborn, they've got a problem now. They won't listen. They're not after reconciliation. Get reinforcements and sort it out. The alternative, part B. So then if you're presenting a gift before the altar and suddenly you remember a quarrel you have with a fellow believer, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go at once to apologize to the one who is offended. Okay. 
This is nasty stuff. <laughs> this is the, the offended part. He was offended. Then after you've reconciled, come to the altar and present your gift. So, so someone sins against you. You go and make right. If you sinned against someone else, you go and make right. Okay. So, where does that leave us? Go and make it right. Whether you're on the receiving end or the sending end, Jesus doesn't care about that. He just wants you to go and make it right. And if you can't get it right, bring some reinforcements along. People with wisdom. Next slide. So God's very nature is love, and love is built on relationship. When we have done wrong and turn our backs on Him, He comes for us. So I want you to look at this. What is the biggest conflict that exists in this world? Before Christ, it was man turning his back on God. So God could have been quite offended. He gave us this garden, and in it, we walked with him. We walked with him in relationship. That was deep. We communed with our creator in a personal relationship. And then we said, we want to be our own little gods. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Now, at that stage, God could have taken offense. But instead, he said, okay, I'm going to pursue my bride. I am going to reconcile, and I don't expect them to do the work. I will do the work. And the only way that we can do the work is that I'm going to have to kill myself. And he takes his only son, and we know the rest. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will be born again, be reconciled to God. That is the standard of reconciliation. We sinned against God, but He comes after us, and He will lay down everything for the relationship. Wow. How to handle conflict. 101. I'm going to do... My time is up, and I don't care. Next slide. We are going to finish with a a case study. So this is the last thing, and I just want to illustrate this. This is a really good, interesting little thing. So, you know, Amy told me, Dad... You didn't use enough examples from the Bible. I said, yes, dear. I'll fix it. (laughs) She's right. So this is a very interesting little time. I I just want to share this before we end because it's, it's like there's just so much going on here. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus, to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? He knows what's coming. She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one on your left, in your kingdom. Do you ever want to start a fight? (laughs) So the other disciples are there. The other ten are there. This mother, what do you think is driving her? It's ambition for her sons. And this lustful power. She, and she has no conceptual understanding of what the kingdom of God's about. 
Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And the two boys are there. And they say, yes, we'll suck it up. He says, yes, you will. (laughs) You see, the Holy Spirit is working through Christ. He knows the road that he's on. And he knows what's going to happen to his disciples already. And so the Spirit is inside of us. He doesn't respond aggressively. And he doesn't run away from it. He starts asking them questions to understand their understanding of context. So Jesus' response is, let's start asking questions. Do you know what is going to happen? And then he starts filling in the blanks. So often the very first thing to do in conflict is to ask questions. Where is this person coming from? And then to come in with the truth. And it's my father who decides who sits at my right and left. That's how Jesus goes on about Then he goes on to say, the other ten became jealous, indignant. They were offended. And who wouldn't probably be offended in that circumstance? And he has to deal with them. See, what's happened is someone has caused trouble, and that offense is now spread like a cancer through the disciples. This can split the church. <laughs> okay, only 12 of them. But there is, there is offense, and he has to deal with it. And he brings them back to how things are. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them as rulers, this quest for power. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so amongst you. Whoever would be great must be a servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slaves. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom to many. And so that's how Jesus responds, guys. You've got to lay down the ego. You've got to let go of this quest for power and reconcile. And he laid down his life so that he could reconcile us. That's how he handles conflict. So this, last slide, I think it is. So we can see, now go back. There's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. And we're talking about the spiritual growth in our lives. And so... You can see it by the fruit that we produce. We are moved to action. We can either pour fuel on the fire or or, or put it out by the words that we choose. And it's for us to rely on the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this in your strength. If you think that you can roll over and act meek in your own fleshly strength, good luck to you. But we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And that's where we've got to submit and obey as disciples and follow Christ. He held himself up to that cross. Last slide. Okay, and the words are far too small. Sorry, Tams, I've done it again. Um, But just in summary, I'm going to close right here. Conflict is going to happen. You can't run away from it but you can choose how you're going to respond. And you can examine yourself. Am I fleeing complete avoidance or am the aggressor? I must win at all costs. And understand that both of those are not right. You're destroying relationships if you're going to pursue those two options. But we can be scarred. It's, it's a choice between following the flesh and following the Holy Spirit's guidance. So it's not for us to rely on ourselves. We need to 
say, Lord, you've got to help me in this. We're called to be imitators of Christ, which requires humility, wisdom, and action, uncomfortable action. And all of this comes from the Holy Spirit. And I just want to share one last thing before we close. So, I shared this also on Sunday night, but I had aspects of my past were a little bit rough and with challenges in my dad's relationships. He lashed out at my stepsisters and stepbrothers from one of the marriages. And my stepmother decided that her response would be, her defense's response would be an attack response on my sister and myself. If you're going to go after my kids, I'm going to go after your kids. Okay. And it was pretty ugly. And I, at that stage, I also went to university. And I think in my second year, I became a born-again Christian. I decided that I was going to, the Holy Spirit worked inside of me, I became born again. The very first thing God said is, we're going to have to deal with some things in your life. And he showed me a picture of this road, and in this road were these boulders that were scattered everywhere. And he says, you can't carry on this path of growth with these boulders. And one of the key boulders was this bitterness that had grown up in my heart over this treatment of my sister and myself against my, my stepmother. I said, Lord, I don't know how to forgive. And he says, just simple, forgive. What does that mean? And I remember that would, what, what would happen, it was tangible, physical. Sometimes what happens is bitterness will affect your body. And it used to come on me like a wave of anger. And then I would grit my teeth and I'd say, I forgive, I forgive. And one day, six weeks later, it broke. It was like the walls of Jericho just fell down. Boom. And I suddenly had a revelation of what she was going through. Not what I was going through, what she was going through. And immediately I could forgive. And I could pray into that situation. And there was absolute freedom absolute freedom in that moment. We are called to reconcile. But we cannot do that when we're carrying the bitterness and hurt inside of us. And I want the same for you. So, let's stand.